0: You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gab.
2: Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator for today, Todd Fox, and the other host of the show, Gabby. And we are back here live kicking off another episode for you guys. But before we get into that, want to let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on our Facebook page. Uh, just type in the Grinding True Crime Podcast, as well as our Instagram page, and follow us there. You can even leave comments. We even communicate back. Shout out to Adam Taylor from Australia. We, him and I have been communicating. He's given his good reviews on us. Shout out to you, Adam. Uh, also, if you want to listen to us when you're driving or working out, put it on your uh, iTunes. Put it on Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, and Pandora. Just type in the Grinding True Crime Podcast and you can find us. And for those listening to the other countries outside of the United States, shout out to everyone. You can listen to us on Podchaser, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Also, want to let you guys know, as always, listeners' discretion is advised, especially for this episode. So, with that all being said, I'm out of breath. That means Todd is your turn. Take it away, brother. What we got today?
0: All right, we've got the uh, interesting man by the name of Todd Christopher Cole. Oh, <laughs> have you heard any, any talk relations? Talk. <laughs> no, no relations, no relations. <laughs> you guys ever heard of this guy before, Todd Cole
2: No, no. <laughs> they sound like cool,
0: but no, I get did. Cool. Close. <laughs> Close. Well, let's let, let's get you guys familiarized with him, okay? All right. So he was born to Regina and William Colehep, March seventh, 1971, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And only oh. Todd was thrust into a chaotic home from the start, uh, from when he ter- took his first breath. Because, oh, dear. because his uh, mother and father, uh, who were just, you know, with each other to be with each other, and it was all about sex, you know, when they have a kid, that's not a good thing, right, guys? That doesn't. Nope. That never solves problems, right? nope yeah that just made the relationship worse between the two and uh after his birth regina his mother uh and father split up uh william and uh, he would spend the bulk of his uh, childhood little or early childhood with his mother um he never really had a stable home and his mother moved around constantly and could never have a, a stable job so again there's another red flag for a child you know Uh, Mm -hmm. broken nuclear family home and then moving constantly, you know, no stability. Mm -hmm. So from the age of five years old and on, his father then got possession of him uh, because of some legal issues that his mother had. And because of lack of a stable job for him, William, in Georgia, he bounced around even more through his uh, early childhood and school and elementary, going from neighborhood to neighborhood, trailer park to trailer park. As as he grew up, uh, so again, not good so far. Not a good childhood. Not settling in good.
1: Nope. Frustrating.
0: Yeah. Um, his mother though, Regina, would get remarried to a man uh, named Carl in South Carolina, uh, and also they would have he would have two sons, and uh, he would uh, get they got custody back of of young Todd, and he brought him in the house, but at the time. Uh, Carl was very adamant about punishment, meaning you got the belt if you opened your mouth, if you did this, if you do that. And to Todd later on would say it was kind of abusive, like he would take it out more on him than his own two, uh, you know, stepbrothers. Mm -hmm. And so this led to Todd being more defiant um, against his parents, uh, running away a lot, um, just acting out. And uh, in junior high, he would have uh, behavior problems. You know, he would start to lash out against kids. Like, they'd be like, hey, teacher, check this out. I built a, the planets. There's this atmosphere, the stratosphere around the sun. And then he'd come up with, like, a hammer or something and just <laughs> blow up the yeah, oh, Blow. Yeah, blow up the part. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he, he, was, uh, he was not the uh, the kid that the teacher liked at all. He was definitely wow. a podcast he also would beat on kids um he would lash out against teachers uh, just he'd be constantly in the trouble in trouble in principal's office uh they even sent him to a little bit of a not a boarding school what's that called military school for a little while uh, boot camp boot camp yeah and uh at an early age too this wasn't even high school yet this was junior high are so we talking like 13 maybe yeah yeah mm-hmm. so uh he
1: learned it from his dad
0: Exactly and he took the abuse out on other kids so um, he was a social outcast and despite his behavior Todd never thought to himself why don't people like me he just kept doing this the stuff that pissed people off and pushed people away um, so as he became an outcast he began to have imaginary friends and let's see if you guys can pick up something that kids do that you know usually turn into killers later on judging by all the shows that we've done you guys have done i've done what's one particular trait they do with something or something and it uh, it leads to uh bigger and worse things
1: animal abuse kitty kitty cat
2: they kill kittens or cats
0: bingo and bingo (laughs) you guys nailed it right away (laughs) there's an ml to this stuff right yep um
2: and you know what I barely found that. I think you told me uh, a few years ago. You told me that that's a trait, a sign that something, uh, a kid could possibly uh, be a killer or silver killer or something like that.
0: Yeah, because they're lashing out and they're getting the experience of either killing or torture. And they can't do it to a human because obviously they're at a young age. But doing it to animals and rodents, are you know no one's going to tell them something for the most part. So Mm -hmm. they get their jollies that way and it just gets worse as they grow older crazy
1: yeah they get bored eventually and go into bigger things
0: yeah so so check this out though right away he gets his stepfather's gun and he kills a neighbor's dog straight up whoa shoots just just shoots it execution style and and to to get the feeling of it and then if that wasn't enough there was a tank of fish um, different kinds of fish not just your goldfish he poured Mm -hmm. bleach in the water just to see what would happen to the uh, fish
1: how sad!
2: I'm um, quite sure they were filleted. So <laughs> oh
0: jeez. <laughs> well, yeah, they lost their coloration for sure. Yeah, man.
1: Because
0: bleach uh. <laughs> ain't no joke. No, uh, but I think that choked away the oxygen in the water or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. um But then they st- he started hacking up small rodents, which would be like you know your um, your field mice, you know, or uh uh what are those called? Um, Gerbils and hamsters and stuff like that. I think so, but what are those called? The possums. There you go. Possums. Possums and stuff like that. Um, this behavior was noted by his parents, um, and it was checked up on in 1982 at the age of 11. And he's 11 at this point. Dang. <clears throat> yeah, so at 82, he's 11. And uh, he was took into a psych- psychiatric ward for preteens. So not only had he gone to boot camp already, and he was, you know, they were trying to figure things out, he went there for, you know, insane, you know, for, for, for all kinds of issues because they felt that he had ADHD. They felt that he had anger issues. They felt that he was weird, that he needed something. So they took him to this hospital, uh, you know, best ho- hospital in South Carolina that dealt with kids like that, psych- psychiatric ward. And they put him on Ritalin and Thorazine. Um, yeah, it's, pr- it's pretty strong stuff, yeah. right?
1: So they gave him medication while they were evaluating him or they had already diagnosed him.
0: They were doing both. So they were seeing him on the, on the daily or the weekly, but they figured that at some point he had to have some sort of issues that required those medicines. So as they were talking to him, they wanted him to get on some sort of meds because he wasn't calming down. He was still lashing out at that facility. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so however he was there for almost six to seven months carrying in uh, actually no he was there for almost a year I'm sorry um, he was there to the end of summer of 1983 where uh, when he came home uh, his behavior got worse because they did not keep up with the prescription the prescription was working it was mo- it was mellowing him out keeping him calm he wasn't lashing out they did not follow up for whatever reason and the state did not make sure they followed up either and well basically he went back to being a terrible young kid so oh go ahead
2: no i'm just saying like wow
0: yeah so so then like at the age of 16 uh todd is outside playing with with uh, some friends someone mm-hmm. rubbed them the wrong way uh like either I don't know, throwing the football around. It's not really said what happened. But what did happen is uh, Todd began to drag a 16-year-old boy to the side of the house and start beating on him and smashing his head into those pipes that control your water heater.
2: Ding.
0: Yeah. Um, Neighbors heard the kids screaming and the vicious fighting and the other kids screaming, and they physically had to remove Todd from the kid, fearing serious damage being done to the other child.
2: Dang, yeah, there's something really wrong with this man. Sure,
0: sure is. Boy,
1: he was 15. You said 16. 16? Yeah. Wow.
0: And um, so his parents, because of this, the embarrassment, the arguments, always fighting about him, they actually broke up for a while. And of uh, so his, so he did not want to go with either his mom or Carl, his stepfather. He wanted to go with his real father. So his real father lived out in Tempe, Arizona, Mm. so he would fly over to Tempe, Arizona, and uh, his father was real happy to see him, William, and said, hey, you know what, I got a new bedroom for you, uh, you know, with my kids and everything like that, you got your own room. Um, He asked his father, he said, hey, can I rearrange a few things in the room? And he said, no, this is all new stuff. I got this all for you. I, you know, aren't you happy? You know, I got this, this, and that. And, and and right away, Todd just gave him a look and was just like, you know, shaking his head. So then William was like, all right, well, whatever. He shut the door and he said, uh, you know, bedtime's at whatever, right? So
2: mm-hmm. then
0: uh, he, goes, he goes downstairs and then he starts hearing all kinds of noise and things breaking. He runs back upstairs and goes, what are you doing? Todd had lashed out with a hammer and started destroying all the furniture piece by piece. Get out. Yes.
1: Dang. Wow. there's Yeah, he got issues. Hey, yep.
2: man. That was my son. <laughs> oh.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. You would have got a beating from. Uh, from That's uh,
1: what you say. But if you got a son who's messed up in the head and he got a hammer in his hand, I highly doubt you want to lash at him.
0: Yes, I would. You don't know me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we ought to both had a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have hit him with uh, Thor.
0: Thor. (laughs) Thor, jeez. My bad. Go ahead, Now, you'd have been uh, the Hulk, you know, when he's slamming Loki or whatever. Bruh. Yeah. Come
2: on, man. I didn't bought all this stuff for you. Are you going to disrespect me like that? Man.
0: I know. It's terrible. And then it just gets worse because check this out. In high school in Tempe, Arizona, he was a social outcast again. He didn't know anybody. He was from the East Coast. He had like a Southern accent. Mm -hmm. Um, He had terrible grades, yet he had an IQ test of 118, which is highly smart. Yes. Wow. Um, The teachers were blown away by this because of his ambition was terrible. There was like, oh, Mm -hmm. there has to be a mistake. They arranged two more tests, which were to to judge his IQ, and he came out to 118 again or higher. What? Yeah. So the staff at the school was just perplexed. Like, why is this guy so smart, yet he does so many dumb things, like reckless behavior? He w- he had many uh, referrals for and suspensions for drinking, fighting, and just being an overall dirtbag at school. Mm-hmm. So,
1: so he's smart. He just has personality disorders.
0: You got some. <clears throat> Apparently, yeah. There's something that they cannot figure out what's making him tick the way he is.
2: He got a demon.
0: Yeah, so check this out. So one night while drinking, he's 17 years old at this time. Okay, uh, I believe this is in 1987 or 88. Okay, uh, he's talking with a friend over the phone named Christine. Now she's a 14 year old, and he's 17, and he, it's one of his rare friends that actually likes him for who he is. Um, Ooh! They actually talked on the daily, right? And uh, Ooh. he is expressed his interest to her several times. Uh, you know, her being like a a freshman while he's like almost a senior. And she always would turn him down. And in his words, it felt like she was open to anybody else but him. Smart woman. Yeah. But here's, but that's just a recipe for disaster, though. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So one night he was drinking at his his father's house. He decided to go over to see Christy, who just lived down the street uh, through the alley or whatnot. Mm Mm-hmm. As he walks all the way down to her house, um, she's there babysitting her two siblings, uh, her two little brothers at five and three, um, or a baby brother and sister, I'm sorry, five and three, uh, the boys, the five-year-old, and um, mm-hmm. she's babysitting with, uh, as her parents are having a night out. Um, he, he proceeded to knock on the door and to try to get her outside, and he kept knocking on the door, kept saying, Christine, I want to see you, I want to show you something. She's like, no, I'm in here, I'm babysitting, I can't leave my brother and sister alone, and then he's just not taking no for an answer. So uh, Todd would turn around, sometimes leave, and then come back. So after doing this for like thirty minutes, just bugging the crap out of out of uh, out of the girl, he comes back uh-huh. one more time. What do you think he does? Uh, he
1: starts
2: busting out her windows.
0: Gabby.
1: I think he he breaks in, like, through somewhere where she don't see him.
0: Surprisingly not. Surprisingly wow. They're both wrong, yeah. You would think that with his violent behavior. So that's why I'm like, okay, well, they're on to something. That's what I would have did if I was Todd, I'm just saying. But
2: <laughs> Don't tell me he bust that alfalfa, started singing to her.
0: No, 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 he didn't do a radio. Oh,
2: okay, I am about to say, that's, that's a definite twist.
0: <laughs> no, what he did is he came back smooth-talking. And she figured, okay, in her mind, she doesn't want to come out there. But to get him to finally go away, she'll come outside to the porch, see what he wants. And then she's got to run back in. So she agreed to see him for five minutes. And he seemed to be really nice, even though she knew that he was drinking. Mm-hmm. And then uh, automatically, he pulls a gun on her. <gasps> what? Yes. He uh, he pulls a gun on her and says, if you scream, I'll kill you. And um, he, she's dumbfounded because she's never seen this side of him before right so he grabs her by the waist what? and starts leading her into the alley now as they go into the alley she's starting to to get her senses and saying there's no way there's no way he's gonna shoot me that's not a real gun you know he starts to see she's just trying to pull something so she tries to wrestle the gun away from him and she tries to you know to, to get it as she's getting it, she realizes it feels real. And just as she's pulling it by her face, it goes off.
1: Oh no!
0: It goes off, but it misses her head by millimeters. Like like, or whoa, like, like it's so close from like just at least grazing her head. The bullet, like, literally flies by her her her, uh, her head. Made her made her hair,
1: you know, move. That's scary.
0: So at, so at that point, she says she just becomes numb and does whatever he says. Like like she realizes he's not playing around. And um, so he starts to take her down, again, down the alley and into his house. His dad's not home. No one else, his other siblings, half-brothers, half-sisters aren't there. Uh, he forces Christine down the hallway. And, again, she's sort of still in shock. I mean, she almost was murdered in cold blood right there in the alley. Um. She finally gets like her. She said she was, a, it was like an out of body of ex- experience. But when she gets to the bed, he then automatically tapes her up uh, and then realizes, you know, her taped up, he can't take her clothes off. So <laughs> he's a kid. Yeah. So he, he uh, takes oh, the tape off, God. puts the gun to her, and says, get naked. And this is what sucks. And this is what, you know, because she's 14 years old. You know, and and she's never been naked in front of anybody, mm. and she's now having to get naked in front of who she thought was a friend. Number one, and number two, she's realizing the fact that my brother and sister are home alone—five and three—down the block, wow. nobody there. Um. So what happens is, um, he starts to get undressed, and this is how innocent she is. He takes the the tape off her mouth because he took it off her her hands and legs and he begins to sodomize her and her way of thinking because she's only 14 years old and and i guess being that innocent not knowing that she when he pulls out she tells him you're so dumb that's not where you put it for sex what yeah I mean, like, he's he's having, like, oral sex with her, but she has no idea that that's a part of sex. You know what I mean? Wow. So she's that innocent. So she's almost, like, not laughing at him, but realizing, hey, he's pretty dumb, you know? Sex is supposed yeah. to be this and that. not Yeah. That. You know? So I thought that was pretty crazy that she didn't realize it showed her, showed her age. Exactly. She didn't even know yeah. that was a, a sexual act. Yeah. Um. So at the same time, though, kudos to her little five-year-old brother. Um, he did see her leave the house, and he began to cry as his, his little sister began to cry, and he immediately called nine one one, which uh, the police were called, and the uh, the also he was able to smartly remember his his uh, dad's phone number, I believe, or something like that. But it, mm. they didn't say in the story how he was able to. They were able to get to the uh, the parents number or get a hold of the parents. But somehow they were able to get a hold of the parents. As Todd is trying to force himself on Christine, the outside his window he sees police cars racing towards her house. And so he's like, holy crap. Like, I think the jig is up. And he began to get agist- agitated and starting to push her around like he was going to beat on her. And she began mm-hmm. to beat and say, look, if you let me go, I won't say anything. I just want to get back to my... My brother and sister uh, and my parents, uh, I won't, you know, I won't tell anything. You're my friend. You just had a bad night. It's okay. So he says, get your clothes on. And he starts to slap her. And he said, uh, he said, if you say anything, I'll come back and I'll kill you and your family. So uh, nice guy. Nice guy. Issues. (sighs) Yes. Um, He told her not a word of it. If you value your lives. um. So she made her way out of the house, back down the street, and to the uh, where all the police were outside her house, including her parents had just arrived. Um, her dad realizing um, that she was coming up, he ran over and grabbed her. The cops were like, "Oh my God, where were you? You know, did you did you have a boyfriend that you tried to run out with? Why would you do that to the kids?" And she said, "Yeah, I just saw some friends, and I went with them, and I talked to them, and this and that." And the way she was describing it, the police were like, "All right." And, and but then her dad was like, "No, no, no, no. There's something wrong here."
2: Yeah, yeah, smart man.
0: Yeah, so he was he was like, for 15 minutes trying to convince her to tell the truth. And the cops are getting bored. They're like, "Nah, this is this just seems like she found a boyfriend and she forgot about her brother and sister. Shame on you. Don't do that again." Um, he wasn't These buying it. The fox. Five- yeah, the co- the cops are. Wait till you see the bumbling cops later on. Oh, the... <laughs> one, another one caught. This is another one, unfortunately.
1: Oh lord! I think every single story has some stupid cops. Not
2: everyone. There was one where we had a, a, a hero.
0: Yeah, we we've, we've had a couple heroes, but way too many zeros. <laughs> way too many zeros. I gotta hear this. So um, so what happened was just a few minutes later, um, she began to open up. And she said what happened, uh, how he came over to the house and how everything went down. And upon hearing this right away, a female officer who had came down there to talk talk to her as well, got the troops together and the four cop cars went over there and they raided Todd's house. Now, when they got Todd to come to the front door finally, because he was reluctant at first, he had a gun in his, in his waist. And the, uh, the police officer said she was ready to shoot him. Like she was ready to take him out because she didn't know behind the screen door if he was going to pull the gun or not. don't blame her. Yeah, so um, they arrested him there that night, and uh, he was charged with sexual assault, uh, kidnapping, crimes against a minor, and a few other charges uh, mixed in with the uh, you know the minor with an illegal handgun and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> so at this time he was ch- he was uh, charged um, with all that stuff, and he was facing. Uh, being charged as an adult and if he pleaded guilty or if he uh, or if he was guilty, found guilty, he could have been facing life. Um what? Yeah. Even at seventeen he could wow. yeah.
1: so uh even though he didn't kill anybody, that's
2: shocking. I, I, I know that's what I'm saying. That's shocking.
0: It's cause you know the kidnapping changed so much in the eighties and, and then the the rape and the the number like you used to be able to like this sounds bad, but you used to be able to rape somebody and get only like five years, you mm-hmm. know, or, or kidnap somebody against their will and they give you like 10 years. Now, most of, most of the time, if you shoot someone cold blood, you get like 15 to life. You're out and good. Yep, big- that's 15. Mm-hmm. And now if you kidnap somebody and hold them against their will for or for a day or two, uh, you could be facing life. Yep. You know? Federal offense. 15 to yep. life.
1: Wow. Yep.
0: That I do know. It is. Well,
1: That's good.
0: Yeah, it's good in a way, but it's a,
1: consequences.
0: it's a little bit different though. Cause you would think, man, if you execute someone or end of life, you know, sometimes you, you, you get just a slap on the wrist and I don't understand. exactly. It, but exactly. It is. Um, so basically during the trial, he pleaded guilty to the kidnapping charge, uh, not to the rape and the other stuff. Uh, he tried to get some sympathy for his, the way he was raised. They went through his story of when he was a kid and, uh, but but the thing was, when they got him on the uh the stand, he didn't show any empathy. He never once said sorry and never never once uh said sorry for the way that he lashed out as a child and to his parents and uh the judge didn't buy the uh the poor uh, the way that he was raised, and they gave him fourteen years um in uh, men's correctional jail uh in Tempe, Arizona. So <clears throat> this is one though. That he would actually face the charges and actually, st- the charges would stick and the time would stick. So, he actually did 14 years. What? Yeah, he did. He didn't get out for good behavior. Didn't get out for any of that stuff. He actually served all 14 years.
1: That's good. That's good.
0: Yeah. So well, um.
2: Be about like 30 now then, right?
0: Yeah, he's about that at this time because he was. Uh, yeah, he'd be about like, be about like 31, 32 around there. Yeah. So uh, while he was in jail, though, he did write, along with his parents, many letters to the governor and to the um, the uh, correctional facility saying that he wanted to be in a minimum security prison. He didn't deserve to be in there with men, uh, hardened criminals. So he was scared. But uh, at some point he calmed down. He got his GED and a business de- de- degree in uh, computer science. So um, despite so wait,
2: all- wait, wait. Huh? I'm not to cut you off. He was like... He was tried as an adult, clearly, but he was barely 17 or not. He wasn't 18 at the time of the crime, correct? Correct. But they threw him in the jail and they tried him as an adult, correct? Correct. Dang.
0: He yep. and they were the wolves. Okay. Yeah, somehow it didn't say if he—if uh, uh, any butt pirates got to him or not. <clears throat> I'm
2: quite sure they did. If you want to
1: act like a wolf, you deserve to be with the wolves. Oh, I'm quite sure they did.
2: You know that, that jailhouse rule and they know you did something to
1: a minor.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, there's no empathy for you there. That's No
2: right. sir, so I'm quite sure he did.
0: So, despite all this though, you know, despite, you know, him having a, a messed up life at this point, it's June 2001, he gets out with serving his time. And he would fly to back to South Carolina where his mom was and most of his family, his grandparents, <clears throat> his grandparents had this huge 162 acre piece of land and it was basically going to be given to him in the wheel there was they had three different kinds of lands and they gave him 162 freaking acres that's a lot
2: dang let me get a piece
0: yeah he got a big chunk of that so he set himself up with a little little shack or you know place out there and uh but he had to register as a sex offender in south carolina oh wow but despite all this he would rehabilitate himself fast. He would get a job as a graphic designer, which paid a lot of money at the time. He would also use uh, that degree to get uh, to get his own little business going on the side, and he would uh, get his pilot's license. And on the weekends, he would fly private uh, trips for people around the East Coast and stuff. Dang, he did all that that fast. You know, yeah, we're talking like two years, dude. Like two thousand, yeah, two thousand three. He was already middle class. He went from rags to riches.
2: What's, wow. the F, what's the what's what's his name again? Todd Cole. Hep. Okay, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's that privilege, yo. It's a privilege. privilege. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good though. All right, fine, Go ahead. <laughs>
0: so so in South Carolina, there's a lot of biker gangs, right? There's Hell's Angels. Mm-hmm.
2: Hell's Angels. Yeah.
0: But there's Longo. also there's also street biker gangs, and 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 they're not like the they're not the kind that that do stuff. They're not the 1%. They're the type that they just they, – they're like a club, you know. They hang out. They they show off their bikes. They,
2: yeah, you know, biker do, clubs.
0: Yeah, they do donuts in the streets. They show off their uh, clothes and whatnot. Um, Todd began to get really envious of these guys and wanted to be a part of what they did. But really? he – Yeah, but he never dressed or couldn't dress like them. He didn't have the, the charisma. He didn't have a motorcycle. motorcycle so – he wanted to get into the sport and uh, you know the fashion or whatever it was called at the time um, he never rode a bike like i said before and as he would uh, he would he would find this shop called the Superbike Shop on in 2003 um, he visited the the bike shop where the owner was uh, Scott Ponder who was a local legend in the area did a lot of motorcycle off-road stuff and ATV stuff on the you know so he he was well known in the area um, he came to the store one day to buy a bike, or at least test run a bike, and it didn't go good. So what happened was um, he was made fun of by some of the patrons there and mm. most of the staff uh, because mm. yeah, he said he said a few things and then he also uh, just he thought he thought it was a big shot and he pretty much crapped himself and and, and, and uh, toppled the bike and stuff. He just looked very awkward and everyone was making him. Making him feel bad. So, so he
2: thought he was cocky, and then, you know, he, reality hit.
0: Exactly. So, um, you know, like Scott Ponder, like I said, lo- local legend. He had three employees. One was his best friend. Uh, he had his mother working there with him, and he had a mechanic that was always there. So it was always them four, and then people would come there to hang out, have beer. Uh, they had a little food thing in there, too. and then So it was like a hangout spot, and, and everyone liked mm. it. it was real cool. So uh, there was a, uh, a guy by the name of Noel who was one of the guys in the local area guys who uh, called the store, would hang out there, would buy things. And uh, he said, hey, man, I got some tickets uh, to a show um, that I want to give Scott. And then his mom answered the phone and said, yeah, you know, he's here. He's just busy working on a bike. And he said, she said, come down and, and drop it off. And then uh, he goes, OK, I'll be there like in 30 minutes. I'm just going to shower and I'll be right over. So, uh, what do you think happens when Noel gets to the bike shop? He sees a massacre of dead people. Gabby?
1: Oh, this one's kind of tricky. I'm going to say he gets into it.
0: Oh, he gets into it with him?
1: Yeah, and he gets beat, at least.
0: Well, I have to say maddie matt's right on this one what yeah. what yeah i'm shocked so right away noel uh shows up to the bike, super bike store and it's a little quiet he walks in the door there's cars out front he looks in right away he sees brian face down in a pool of blood Ooh. he gets on the on the phone and right away says hey um calls nine one one from the store and says hey uh I think everyone's dead over here. Because then he looks, as he picks up the phone, he sees Scott's mom punched oh. over, shot in the head and back on the floor. And he doesn't see Scott and he doesn't see the mechanic, but he says everyone is dead. So the cops say, Go outside, wait for the police to arrive. As he's walking out of the store, under one of the cars that he walked by to get into the store, Scott Ponder is underneath that car. He sees a foot out, like hanging out. He's in a pool of blood face down. So he tried to escape
2: probably and got under the car and got blasted.
0: Yes. And and when police cleared the crime scene and the store to make sure the the person wasn't still in there, they ventured to the back of the store where they found the mechanic Chris slumped over uh the bike shot in the head. Like still standing but just slumped over the bike.
2: Dang. Dude.
0: Yep. Um, the weird thing about this was there was no money taken from the cash registers. There was two cash registers. They were filled with money. There was actually a little uh, cigarette uh, holder that had a wad of cash in it, just in the in the open and just sitting there. And they wow. had, yeah, they had a, a lot of expensive motorcycle parts in the, in the uh, warehouse or in the store. None of it was taken. So he just was just.
2: You making fun of me? All right. I'm gonna take your life.
0: Yeah, so police quickly ruled out robbery, of course, and to be mm-hmm. and they, they began to think maybe this is a drug deal or you know, some sort of personal attack. It has to be something because these people were all executed. So police believe the attacker came in through the back and shot Chris first, which was a mechanic, as he was working on the bike then shot Scott Ponder's mom at the cash register, killing her, then shooting Scott's best friend, Brian, by the kiosk. And it appears that Scott Ponder was trying to run, was shot first in the back. He tried to crawl under the car for protection, but then was executed from the side of the head as someone kneeled down underneath the car to to, uh, off him that way. Um, Oh, that's cold. Yeah, that's a terrible way to go. So, um... Upon further investigation, they figured it may be someone close to the shop in general that maybe had a a run in or a bad experience and was willing to snuff out everybody. And surprisingly, the police went right after the guy who made the phone call instead, which was Noel. So What? Yeah, so they so get this guys. They had the right idea. Like it was someone that, you know, got pissed off by the people and took out revenge, but then they didn't go after. You know, s- someone like a suspect, they went after the nine one one caller.
1: Wow. Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Initially, that's what happens because you're the person there. You're so the first you're one on there. Suspicious.
2: Yeah. I I get it, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? I was gonna say, you know, dang, they didn't. Nobody in there had a gun or something. But then I thought about it. They're not your average. They're they're a biker club. They're not the biker gang.
0: Exactly. Yeah. If it was Hell's Angels, yeah, they would have had. They, oh, they, yeah. If
2: it was Hell's Angels, he, he'd have been smoked.
0: Yeah. <laughs> At least, I mean, he would have took out maybe a couple of them, but then they, they would have took yeah.
2: him. Yeah. Oh, easy. Easy.
0: <clears throat> but um, police seemed to think that uh, it was too convenient that no one was there in the shop when Noel came up to approach the bike shop. Because usually the bike shop is pretty busy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, uh, then the police also said, why didn't you use your cell phone? And, you know, how come you didn't use your cell phone? How come you used the phone behind the kiosk and He said, uh, or behind the uh, the registers? And he said, I was just in shock, and I, I looked, looked for the first thing when I saw the bodies, and it was the phone. So the cops are looking at him like, okay, but that's still a little suspicious. And, uh, you know, and he goes, I was just doing my job as a citizen and reporting what I'd seen. And Noel had no history of violence, no run-ins with the law. And he was actually a real close friend and family with Scott Ponder. So they were looking into maybe that they had a deal going that went wrong and he was he could collect. So they're looking at insurance. I mean, they're, they're, they're tearing Noel up. They're wasting time on Noel. And uh, so despite finding out that they're actually real, real good friends, the cops are still stuck on Noel because they said, okay, well, you saw two bodies and then you saw the other body, but you said the mechanic was dead. You never saw the mechanic, and you never went to the back of the store. Why would you say that? And he said because the way the bodies were, he didn't think that if the mechanic was, you know, there at the time at the store, he'd be dead too. So they're like, yeah, but you knew there was only four people in there. And so how did you know that? He's like, I was guessing that there was no other person there. And he kept trying to explain himself. And the cops were like, mm-hmm, you know, let's try a lie detector. Let's try this. Let's try and They're drilling him. Yeah, they're going after him, dude. So, uh, you know, after they tried everything with him, uh, they they pretty much figured out that, that Noel was was cleared. You know that that there was no other way uh, that he could be involved in this. They're they're wasting their time. the <clears throat> The couples of Scott and Brian, because both of them were married, uh, were you know their their marriage partners were like, hey. You know, stop. You know, Noel wouldn't do it. They're pressuring the police. The families are getting involved. Um, so they find a couple of witnesses that had seen a couple cars there earlier, a red and a blue car, and they were trying to get descriptions out to the people. So they figured, okay, Noel's not there. Maybe it was someone that came earlier. It was a red car and a blue pickup truck. They put it on the news. Um, someone said they saw a white guy between the ages of twenty-five and forty um, dressed. Like any other white guy over in South Carolina, <laughs> so it didn't help the cops at all. <laughs> They're all—he kind of sounded like they—they're <laughs> <laughs> all whale. Well, That—that's a real clue. That's gonna help what? us.
2: There you go. That helps us all.
0: They're all like, "Hey, that—that that sounds like my partner." <laughs> so it really, I was
2: waiting for the town. I was waiting for it all, but the- <laughs> you
1: took long.
0: <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I was like making these cops really proper. I shouldn't have. Did- <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. So they
2: gotta love those accents of yours, <laughs> Todd. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: they all. Like, How was he dressed? they all. He was. Like, he was wearing a NASCAR jacket. Oh my God, that sounds like Billy Bob. It just goes <laughs> down the line, man. Down the line. Oh, oh Lord. So uh, yeah, the, the the cops are dumbfounded. They, they they had no idea what was going on. Um, they figured though. That it had to, you know they're 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 kind of figuring it had to be someone, you know, very, very intimate with it, with Scott and Brian, or someone that had it out for them. It had to be. So they started going into the the family, uh, the uh, the family uh, stories, right? And they started talking to Scott Fonder's wife, Melissa. Now Melissa was getting frustrated because it felt like they were coming down hard on her. They were asking a lot of questions, and she began to clam up a little bit and not be so forthcoming. So the cops took this as well. Maybe she's hiding something. She's what? not. Yeah, they're they're saying she's not trying to help the the, uh, the police in any way. Um, she's giving us attitude. You know, we've you know we've got to do something here. You know, something doesn't feel right. So here's what. I would
1: what- too if they kept pressing me and I didn't do anything.
0: Exactly right. So here's where our dumb cop of the week, or detective, jumps in here and has an idea. Here we go. He says, you know what? I'm thinking there's some kind of Jerry Springer stuff going on here, and (laughs) someone got really, really mad with somebody, and then a whole lot of shooting went on, and now we got to get to the (laughs) bottom of this. And then he's like, well, Jeff, what do you think we should do? I think... (laughs) We should get some DNA because I have a feeling that Mara Povich would tell this Melissa that that is not her child. So, <laughs> wait a minute. Why did all stop? <laughs> why did
1: so, this turn into a child?
0: Because the cops theorized that Melissa, they thought by the the, the child that Scott and Melissa had, the child did not look like Scott. So they they said, yeah, they said, let's get some DNA. So what they do is they, when they're interrogating her one day at the office, she changes the diaper of her son. And as she throws it away, the cops are like, pick that stinky thing up. And they take, are
2: you serious?
0: Yep. Dead serious. They take this, uh, diaper to the lab and they begin to run the DNA so uh a few months go by as they run the uh the dna from the diaper uh they do realize that scott and his wife had some uh issues here and there you know like every couple does and uh you know they they figured uh, you know let's let's there may be something to this you know let's keep investigating so they keep they keep investigating and uh you know there was they were thinking that there's there's got to be some kind of issue maybe that that's not the kid so uh you know they're they're trying they're waiting for the dna results to, to come back and then as they come back maury basically tells them according to the dna that was recovered from the autopsy of scott it proved with the dna from the and and compared to the dna of the child that they weren't the same bloodline what so scott's scott's uh that's not scott's son what the dna yeah so, uh, so this really threw them off. Yeah. So right now, what it what it does is it directs the case right to Melissa, and what it does is is it makes it look like she wanted him dead. <clears throat> mm. Yeah. So, um, Brian, uh, Brian's uh, now the detective says, okay, well, if it's not Scott, what if it's the best friend? So they take Brian's DNA and match it to the child's DNA and. Bing, ding, ding. Don't tell, me. Don't they tell match.
1: me.
0: They match. What? Yes.
1: So both. Okay. She's married to one of the people that are dead. And the dad of the baby is the other guy that's dead.
0: Yeah, they're both dead. So that right what? there. Yeah, they're both dead. They're Right now the DNA says Brian is the father, which is his best friend of, of uh, Scott's child. Also,
2: it's really not looking good for old girl Melissa.
0: Yeah, it's not really looking good. But one question is perplexing the police because when they bring her in and they interrogate her, she starts freaking out, crying, saying, I've never had sex with Brian. Brian's a family friend. They're going on and on and they're just pressuring her. They're like, DNA doesn't lie. Oh, no, sorry. DNA doesn't lie. (laughs) Wait, hold on. Did I say that right? It's (laughs) DNA. Yeah. That thing with the molecules and special little things with the blood and whatnot—that's a hundred percent correct. That is not your child with God.
2: <laughs> you having fun with that?
0: One. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> um. Oh
2: my god! So it's some drama. So basically, the police unfolded some internal drama that had nothing to do with the murder
0: well i'll get to that right now cuz <clears throat> oh. what, what happens is the police are like okay we we did our job you know like like they're feeling good about themselves but then one thing does bother them they're like well well then if she killed the guy that wasn't her uh you know her she killed her husband to be with the other guy then why is the other guy did so then the police are like yeah that doesn't make sense you know wouldn't she want to be with That's him? what i
1: thought about
0: yeah so then their brilliant way of thinking is well maybe she hired a bad hitman. Maybe they went to like a bad hitman toll free line and whatnot, and then the guy just got mixed up on who to kill. And he just done killed everybody. He killed everybody. Yeah. He, he was <laughs> supposed to kill one guy, and he just killed them all.
1: <laughs> the way I would have figured that, like, if I knew that, I might have thought, well, then the guy who called the cops—that's her new man. So now she needed both of those out of the way.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, that's how mm-hmm. you would think, right? Like if Brian's still alive, you're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, this makes sense." Mm-hmm. But it's not. Everybody's dead. So when this actually gets out to the media, she has Melissa has to lawyer up. Brian or uh, Scott's, you know, her 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 family that she was close to on Scott's side all turned against her. They start sending her threatening stuff. They start saying, "How could you do this to our our son or our our what?" what? Yeah, they, they, they start hounding her, and she has to get like restraining orders. And then you've got Brian's family that they were close to and everything. His wife screaming at Melissa, and they're all like, dude, she's getting it for. We're talking. Poor Melissa. Yeah, we're talking 18 months this woman endured this crap. 18 Dang,
2: months. That's how long
0: it took. Yeah, it, from the moment that they found out about the DNA and whatnot, it was 18 months that she took the Dang. fall for the care. Yep. <clears throat> And all the while, as all this is going on with the families, she's getting telled by the police. You know what I mean? Like, they're following her. They're trying to see if, you know, if she messes up. They're, they're, they're phone tapping her. Everything. Dang.
1: So they publicized her life just because they wanted to?
0: Yes. It was wow, all. that's
1: so personal. Hey. Like she could have sued them. Yeah,
2: this is definitely bad policing because, Yeah. dang, that yeah. sucks. You pretty much making somebody look like trash right now. And you said for eighteen months?
0: For eighteen months she had to endure this.
2: Hey, bro! <laughs> somebody getting sued when, when 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 it's all said and done. That's why I want millions.
0: <laughs> oh, you're absolutely correct. That that's gonna come down the line here.
2: Oh, okay, okay. Look, I'm jumping ahead. Go ahead, Todd. Be-
0: <laughs> because what she does is she goes to the South Carolina uh, Bureau of Investigation, which is the, the state's FBI basically. Mm-hmm. And she's complaining, she's frustrated, she can't take it no more, she's driving herself nuts, you know, she's trying to raise a family after her, her husband's dead, and then all this stuff is going on. People in the, her own community think she's a murderer. Um, you got all these things going on. She's begging for another test, for another DNA test. She's like, please, I, I know I've never slept with him. She finally convinces the, uh, the uh, bureau to take her up on it and retest the uh the blood samples <clears throat> so what happens is the um, the bureau takes the same DNA though that they had prior and they re- they rerun it again so uh they rerun the they rerun the uh the the blood to each other's and they said oh, well, the, I know how we could fix this let's take the mother's DNA and we'll run it with uh with scott's DNA and if they match up you know that's the that's, the, that's their bloodline right there, and then we could match it up with a the kid. They decided to do things smart. They took Scott and his mom. Remember the mom that worked there? Mm-hmm. They ran their DNA together, and guess what?
1: It was not the same.
0: Exactly. It was wow. not the same.
1: So they mixed up the DNA with the names.
0: Correct, because oh, wow. they took Brian's DNA and then ran it to Scott's mom. Ding, 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 match. Oh, so here's what happened in my mind. So they're at the police station and they take the blood samples from the two bodies and they, uh, you know, or they, or the uh, autopsy area. And, uh, you know, they, they, they take the blood from both Brian and Scott. And then uh, the one guy goes, okay, what? He's thinking to himself out loud. Like, what, what was this blood vial? Was this Scott's or Brian's? And he's all any, many, man, and mo, that's a tiger by a toe. Hum, 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 mine and mo. And then he put the wrong label on the wrong.
2: <laughs> Why are you do him like that? <laughs> I mean, cause how can you mess that up? That caused drama. That <laughs> mess up.
1: They ruined her life because of their stupid mistake.
0: Exactly.
1: Dang.
0: So right then and there, the South Car- Carolina Bureau of Investigation. Wrote a uh, open apology and went to the media and said that the DNA samples were completely um, mixed up, and this cost the investigation, like I said, over eighteen months. Ooh,
2: somebody
0: get fired. <laughs> exactly.
1: The whole squad, y'all gone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know,
1: if I was her, I would completely. If the whole family that treated me like crap over all this came back and said we're sorry we didn't know i've been like you're disowned i'd be like a you."
0: well as far as we know all we know is that um, when they asked her about how's the family situation about a month or two later she said it's ir- there's been irrefutable damage done so you you yep. go with that one <clears throat> you know I, don't- I bet
2: they all look stupid
0: yeah <clears throat> yeah, I think everyone in that situation looks stupid except Melissa. And and think about it. Melissa wasn't even able to properly uh, cope or uh, what's it called? Grieve. Yes, she was not able to grieve because she was battling the police, family, and the... Uh... That
2: sucks, man. That sucks.
0: Yep. Sucks big time. So um, as that situation was just... Up in flames, and everyone's blaming everybody. Now there's lawsuits taking place at the same time. Um, <clears throat> there was a couple that became missing John and Mary Coxey, who weren't the most upstanding citizens. John being in and out of jail, Mary the same, were a uh, kind of transient people moving from place to place, traveling a lot, and were reported missing in 2015. 2015? Uh, yeah, this is now 2015 now. So we've moved. Dang, to- dude. We've moved years ahead now. Um, John, really? John had been incarcerated for DUI's drug possession, and Mary, had his wife, had been arrested for child endangerment, having been on heroin while pregnant with a baby, testing positive upon birth. So these two are not the most upstanding citizens. Um, yeah. But both had been released in June 15th, And uh, 2015 which shortly after they were reported missing by friends and family the child was in uh, child protective custody at the time so the child was not with them so you don't have to worry about that Um, Mm -hmm. but in 2016 as the investigators are still looking into the case of the missing couple from a year earlier another couple went missing Uh, the second couple went missing by the names of Charlie and Kayla in September of 2016, the couple wound up missing, and they weren't uh, the type that weren't just in and out of jail. They were upstanding citizens, and they mm-hmm. had jobs, and uh, but they hadn't been seen by friends or family for days. So the family filed a police report and a missing uh, persons report. Uh, when the police finally went to the house uh, where the couple was staying, they found a the dog that had been neglected, not fed. So it's clear they had been gone for a few days. <clears throat> Dang. Yeah. Um, this is where all the twists come in. Um, as the time went on, a week or two later, all of a sudden, the social media accounts for both Kayla and Charlie began to get active. And there was one on there was a post on there saying Kayla was pregnant. There was a post on there that Charlie got a new job and they were moving up north. And uh, they were just well wishes to the families and some generic, you know. Generic uh, highs and buys on various accounts. It was really weird. People were like, "This is not like them. They don't message like this. They don't whatever." And so they took this to the police, and the police began to say, "Well, there's there it is. Case closed. We found them. They're on social media. That means they're doing the thing." We found them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we we're taking credit. (laughs) So uh, they're like, "No, no, no, no. You don't understand. Like, like these people are." You know, they love their family. They wouldn't abandon their dog. They wouldn't abandon their house. They didn't even take any of their possessions. Now well, if it's on social media, that means it's correct, right? It's, it's true. Yeah, it's true. And uh <laughs> they're they're all like, no, 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 they're not there. So they're they're trying to convince the police and the police finally start saying, Okay, stuff looks a little weird because a lot of people are coming around here saying that yeah, these guys aren't—they're not acting the same. The social media is not sounding right, so they began to investigate. <clears throat> and then you know that woman that comes on cable TV, Nancy Grace. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, she took up this story, and she started getting people, uh, you know, asking people, they're sharing their story, and, and people on her live show were saying that it sounds like these people were uh, kidnapped. Or they've been murdered and someone is taunting the family, taunting the police, and taunting the, just friends and family on social media. And that's about right. Um, the So Nancy Grace was coming down hard on the police for not really taking this case seriously from the start. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, you know, not being fully invested in it. And uh, she's like, it could be a serial killer. And usually she's all about drama. But on this one, she was really uh, on point. And uh, mm-hmm. she began to get uh, people, uh, internet uh, sleuths, you know, people into true crime, like the people listening here, um, to get on the internet and start investigating. And they were actually doing the job of the police. And uh, rumors started to um, to get out in the uh, Woodrow area of South Carolina that uh, there's this guy by the name of Todd who is who has hired people at certain times, and they see certain people come and go, but. You know he has all this land, and you know the police should look into him. And there was <clears throat> a lot of people starting to say, "Hey, look at Todd. You know he's a weird guy. You know it's there. There could be something to that." Todd. Yeah. So, so <laughs> for the police, someone actually, you know, came up with a good idea and said, "You know what? Let's take the, um, uh, what is it called the, uh, f- the phone records, or let's check the phone records and see where the last time." the the couple pinged off of a cell tower and, and lo and behold in that small town of woodrow south carolina the pings came off a cell tower just a few miles from to- todd Colhep's
2: uh wow robbery.
0: yeah so um todd Colehep was at this time also a real estate uh agent and he was in town and at the time so the police were like hey you know what let's fly a plane over or a helicopter over his land, and let's see if we see anything that looks weird. Let's see if we see the car that's missing, uh, anything like that. So they flew they flew a helicopter and a plane over the property. They checked it out, and they saw a couple containers, a couple shacks, and then uh, you know he had another property in town. And they're like, you know what, we're gonna get a search warrant for this guy. Um. So as they did the, you know, they they checked the land. It's a it's a lot of acreage to check. Um. But uh, they're like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna get a uh, Uh, a search warrant and so as they did they served a search warrant they got him under you know in custody at his house searching the two properties they went on the big acre land they found a huge kind of like warehouse type building a two-story building and the then the bottom floor had just normal stuff machinery and things like that what do you think this the top floor had
2: oh i don't know like things you can torture somebody with, you know, like a you know sepals and stuff like that.
1: What about I'm you? I'm guessing it had like either one or more like rooms to where he would keep people tied yeah, up or body parts women.
0: <laughs> Well, you're absolutely right on both. <clears throat> so it was his own little uh toy shop of uh torture up there. And there was two- there was chains, whips. Um, there was all kinds of sex toys, uh, a bed, um, and, and obviously there's women's clothing up there. So they so they <clears throat> they figured, okay, you know, we don't see anybody up here, but he's had people here, and he fits the creep thing. So let's search a little more. They went out to the back, and there was like one of those truck containers on the ground, mm-hmm. and they heard a tapping noise, and then they knocked on the door, and they were like, "Hey, is there anybody in there?" And then they heard like faint screams. And then here's the audio right here. And entered into this dark hallway
1: of terror.
2: Anybody got a, I need a handcuff key.
1: Handcuff
0: key? I don't have it. I
2: got I it right know. here. Hold up. don't slide back. Hold on.
1: Who's there, laying chained from each side of her body, was the missing girl from Anderson. A girl who began spilling.
2: Do you know
0: where your buddy is?
3: Charlie? Yes. He shot him. He
0: shot him? He shot who did?
3: Todd Colehep
0: shot Charlie Carver three times in the chest. Direct the secrets. The see, first off, that sucks. The video I'm seeing, <laughs> yeah, she's literally chained to the um, what is it called? She's chained to the container, and uh, you know she's got her clothes on and everything. Um, but did you hear the voices though in there? I'm not far off on my impressions. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like, and then what happened? <laughs> and then she, then she has to say it. Um, Dang. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty crazy. He
2: got saved. Imagine had they not did the search warrant. She, she would have been dead in a few days. Who knows? Oh, yeah.
0: Definitely. And so she'd already been gone, though, like for a couple months. I mean, this was already. Oh, seriously? A couple, a couple months had gone by already. Um. So so you heard the audio. They got the big bolt cutters. They went in there and they found a waste bucket for her to use the restroom in, a couple plates, some bread, and uh, a few things there. He had shaved her head or or cut it real short. Um, She was locked up on a chain and he was in town doing his own thing. Um, Here's what happened. Here's her uh, accounting of what happened. So this is about a two-minute clip. She's going to explain, this is on the way to the hospital. Uh, detectives are interviewing her, and she's just spilling it all.
3: The first, like, two weeks I was there in the building, my ankles were cuffed, my hands were cuffed behind my back, and I had a chain around my neck. It's really emotional for the first week or so I was there.
2: What did Todd do while you were there?
3: We would get there between 1 and 3 o'clock every day take me up to the main building, beat me. Make me do whatever he wanted sexually. And then he'd put me back in the building. And then he would always come back. So five and seven take me back up to the building, beat me again. Both of the time, do whatever get whatever out of me he wanted sexually again.
1: killed
3: out there story-wise he told me about four he also told me that he walked into a few years back that he walked into a bike shop at Anderson and shot four people and left and they never found out who did it he liked to brag that he was Mm. a killer and a mass murderer he said he was going to kill more people because he had dreams of his body count being in three digits he said right now it was still high two digits yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: So I hope you could hear most of that because she, yeah. she was in the back of an ambulance. Um, mm. <clears throat> he basically kept her for sexual purposes. And if she didn't do what he wanted, uh, he'd kill her. Like, And he shot her, her uh, husband right away, three times in the chest right in front of her, and then buried him on the property. Um, It's pretty crazy that she had to endure all that. And then <clears throat> he had copped. In the, in the interview right now, he copped to the four murders at the bike shop and also to uh, four other people. Wow. Yeah. So, um, they... Uh,
2: I was- now, I wonder what those cops thought when they heard her say that those four people in the bike shop, it was him. I wonder what went through their mind.
1: It probably felt stupid. They-
0: yeah because
2: because like you said that was 18 months that she endured. What you say this was 2016?
0: Yeah, cuz this was this was a the Superbike murders happened in 2003. And so you're talking about she endured 18 months after that. So it was almost in 2005. And then so when she was cleared, the case went ice cold for uh nearly a, a 11 years. Man, so he pretty much got
2: away with murder. Literally yeah for those 11 years. <clears throat> yeah wow
0: absolutely so um when the police found out about this you know they're trying to interrogate him he's not copping to anything you know he lawyers up he doesn't want to say anything he feels he's an upstanding citizen blah 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 um <clears throat> but to his dis- to to his lawyer's dismay though he winds up then talking to the police and um he begins to explain how you know and and i'll maybe i'll post a link i won't play it but it's a seven minute interview Uh, i don't know if you guys want to hear it or or if i should just post a link it's up to you guys but um he basically
1: post it so people can hear it
0: i agree okay because just in case you didn't um hear the other one it was a little too loud then you can you can um i'll post the links up there for the interviews and stuff but <clears throat> but, but a brief description on the seven-minute interview that he did with the police he copped to everything he said that uh, He would go on Facebook marketplace and leave advertisements for people to cl- clean his um, couples to clean his houses or his um, you know his um, What is it called the houses he was selling or his property? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know <clears throat> it worked out and then he'd find a couple that he like then he would go through the process of luring them to his real big property and then murdering the husband and then taking the woman as a sex slave. Wow. Yeah. Um, he said the couple before him, he killed the husband right away, um, which was the drug addict one. And the girl he said was not a good girl like Kayla and always fought back. And uh, she wound up being murdered. him. Her, uh, he murdered her himself. And uh, in that, he said he did not want to rape he didn't believe in rape yet everything else was okay you know sexually and all this other stuff but the woman had to be willing to do it and if she wasn't then kill her that was
1: still forcing someone like
0: yep wow
1: stupid
0: as long as it's 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 in his mind he pictures okay well it's not rape so that means it's okay to him he was okay with that which is really stupid like you said and that's how he would treat the women <clears throat> and um, so upon this the police went out there and as they're tr- as they're wrapping up the superbike stuff they're searching his property and they do find the two bodies of the husband and wife that were buried and they also find Kayla's husband who was killed as well and they were searching the other the property because they just they, there's a bad taste in these police's mouth because they feel like there's more out there they feel that you know okay we've kind of accounted for the 2015 couple being kidnapped and murdered. And then 2016 kidnapping and murder of the husband and the rape and all this torture stuff. They're like, there's no way this guy could have went from 2003 to 2015 without murdering anybody. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And despite him being so like, you got to hear his, his, um, w- when I post the link, you've got to hear the way he talks about murdering the people in the super bike thing. He says, "You guys." He actually tells a police officer, "You would have been proud of the way that I did it, like I made it very fast and pain and painless, and it was like I neutralized him like that." And he was like chuckling about it, like he was like this great shooter.
2: Yeah, something wrong. He's
1: sick.
0: Yeah, he's he's been, he is very um, uh, such a so- sociopath. I mean, it, it, you, you're. I'm telling you, I encourage you guys to listen to that interview. It's pretty damn crazy. Um, So after this, and, you know, because obviously he was sentenced to – he avoided the death penalty by copping out to everything. So he did not get the death penalty. That's weak. Yeah. Um, He made a plea deal. and That's why they were able to find the bodies. And um, he basically got uh, something like, I think, 400 years. But it's just basically life. So he's never – but to this day, there's still people that want to get into that area, which is I don't know what's up with the land. Who's who's got possession of it now? But the police feel that it could be a dumping ground, and there could be more bodies in those 162 acres. Oh, I believe
1: it. Uh, yeah, I agree. There's got to be a lot.
0: Yep, yep. because um, again, how many? Do you, how many do you think there was in the 12-year gap?
2: I say he probably murdered about three. Four a year.
0: That could be. That could be because this is a, this is a guy that wasn't seen around town with a, a girlfriend or a wife. So, if anything, maybe he was getting sex from these women that he was stealing from other men. Mm-hmm. And so, I
1: think if this one was fairly new and she had been in there, what'd you say, two months? Two months, yeah. If she was new, then there's got to be a lot more women because... I mean, clearly, somebody refused before her for him to get this girl. So he's just killing those that at some point are like, nope.
0: Yeah. Or he just gets bored with them, one or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, the, the police actually followed up on missing persons. And they did find some that matched that could be attributed to Todd. But there's no evidence. And Todd won't co- cop to anything else. So the interviews that he did, he's pretty much done and, and the, they won't, they can't get anything else out of him. And so there's that big question mark. They have unsolved, you know, people, um, you know, missing or whatever. And there's no body that, that were from the South Carolina area or adjacent areas. And, uh, they, they have a strong feeling that there is a higher death count than just the seven that he was convicted for. Yeah,
1: I think so. He got away with a lot in the end.
0: He did. He did no more. What do you guys think about this case? What a
2: very, very interesting case and stupidity from the officer because years have passed and he got away with it.
1: Yeah. I would attribute guilt to them too and make them responsible for not doing their job how they should have. More people would have been saved. And in that time that they wasted, he killed more.
2: Yeah. Yep. And not only that, he ruined families. Well oh. they they ruined families.
0: Good point. Yeah.
2: yeah. So I mean I'm not gonna sit here and say that you know cops are horrible or anything, but those officers, whoever were in charge, did a horrible job. And this guy right here, your cousin <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: the other Todd, huh. just a scum of the earth, man. And I hope on this one, I hope what he gets what's coming for him.
0: Yeah, it's it's just too bad he dodged the um um the deathbed. Death
2: oh yeah, yeah. He should have gotten it,
0: you know. Yeah. He's
2: still alive now?
0: Oh yeah, he's still alive. You can look him up. Uh he's he the only thing is he's he's gained weight. That's about it. He was a skinnier dude. Um but uh other than that, he's a uh, – he's a he's a he's, a, he's Comfortable. You know, he's in prison. He's no one's uh you know he's he doesn't he's not gonna die, you know, like he's gonna live out his life unlike his the people he tortured and killed. That's so right. the belief is one day that they are gonna stumble upon a grave site because they did find those three bodies close together where he said they were. Um, but they're thinking that at some point someone's gonna make a dig and they're gonna find something. So
2: I'm surprised they haven't already.
0: Yeah, well I mean 162 acres is a lot to cover um, but still at some point, I mean, geez, I, I would, I would literally leave it to the internet sluice. I'd be like, Hey, you guys want to come out here for a dig, you know, for a week, mm-hmm. you guys come out here and do what you got to do. You know, you know, use metal detectors, whatever, you know, do the job that we can't. Cause obviously NASCAR's on this weekend. So <laughs> we're going to be preoccupied with a Daytona 500.
2: <laughs> when I heard him say <laughs> what he said with the accent on the audio, <laughs> you nailed it.
0: Wait, well, you know what? There's a, There was another clip that was uh, that was going to play for you, but I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to laugh as it's playing because the guy's in there and it's, it's after they get the bolt, you know, before they ask her the questions, they're all like, uh, one of the guys, one of the officers goes to her and says, all right, you just hang tight, okay? And we'll be right back. We're going to call an ambulance. I'm like, where's she going to go? She's chained to the damn thing. Of course she's going to hang tight. Like, that's, like, the poorest choice of words you could tell her. (laughs) Exactly. Hang tight, little woman. Hang tight.
2: She already is, sir. Get some (laughs) freaking pliers and cut this thing off.
0: I'm sure she doesn't want to hang tight any more than she has to. (laughs) Seriously, man. (laughs) And that guy had a deeper accent than me, man. Oh, well.
2: Well, that's... That That was very graphic and you know hearing the audio too puts a a vision in your mind of what that woman must have went through you know it's
1: so sad but in the end i'm pretty sure she was very grateful that she made it out everybody else didn't
2: yeah exactly and you know what survival 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 mode kicked in she did what she had to do to survive you know you said she was in there for a couple of months Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and that's after seeing her husband shot point blank in front of her. see, she
2: had a strong will because even when they opened it up, she was able to talk.
1: Yeah, she wasn't like
2: she wasn't like shaky. She wasn't, you know she she talked normal. Yep, you know. So kudos to her for enduring. Absolutely, absolutely. <sighs> well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another uh, episode about a grinding true crime podcast crew. Thank you, Todd, for breaking down the story of Mr. Todd. The other Todd. Yeah, the other Todd. <laughs> A
1: different Todd. A different Todd. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh, good job, Rob. Really good story, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So for those who are listening, thank you. And if you guys want to contact us or follow us, go to our Facebook or Instagram page. Hype pin the Grinding True Crime Podcast. And if you want to listen to us on your uh on your podcast streams, just type, go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchors, iTunes, Pandora. And for those out of the country, Podchaser, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. You can listen to us on those streams. Well, that all being said, this is your boy Matty Matt signing off with our narrator for today. Todd Fox. And the other host of the show.
1: Gabby. And we are out. Toodles.
2: Peace.